All right. In this conference so far, we've begun talking about becoming the leader that God made you to be. That whole field is pretty broad, so we began talking about the general aspects of becoming the leader that God made you to be. We're transitioning into some of the specific ones today. Today we're going to get into your life purpose, mission, vision, and strategy. We're going to get into your spiritual gifts. We're going to be going from the general to the specific areas. Tomorrow we're going to start going into the broader area of leading the ministry that God called you to lead. How to share your faith how to make disciples, things like that. You'll get some good ministry training. In fact, I'll tell you, Aaron and I just finished a seminary program with the biggest Christian university in the world, Liberty University. And I love what we learned there. It was great. It was wonderful. But I can assure you that what you'll learn in the next three days is more valuable as far as the effectiveness of your future ministry than a seminary degree. And I don't say that lightly. I can say that with all the conviction in the world. You can go through an entire seminary program and learn book after book and thousands of pages of information, and it's all good. But it does not necessarily equip you to make disciples. But you can get a few small keys that will help you be who God wants you to be and make disciples. And that's good enough. I'm not saying not to do seminary. If God calls you there, do it. But what I am saying is what you're going to learn in the next three days are probably more important than anything you could do over several years of intense investigation. Russ always says, keep it simple, stupid. This is what we're aiming at. You can take these things to the bank. They always work. So as we transition from the general aspects of becoming the leader that God made you to be, we're going to be getting more specific. We're going to talk today about why you're here and what you should be doing and how to put these things on paper so that you're not just aiming at nothing. If you aim at nothing, what happens? You hit it every time, right? That's what's been said, and that's true. And as a Christian, if you're aiming at nothing, whose will are you accomplishing? Satan's will. You know Satan has a plan for your life, right? His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Does he want you making disciples? His plan is to derail that right now, and he's going to be very good at that. We're going to talk today about how to not let that happen, how to actually follow God's plan for your life. Now, as we get started, I want you to turn to Jeremiah 29.11. And as you turn there, I want you to listen to this quote from Rick Warren. He says, The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And Charles Stanley continues putting it this way, In spite of any difficulty or sin that you may have faced, God still has a fantastic plan in mind for your life. All of you are coming here with baggage, so am I. And you could look at your past and say, I can't accomplish what God has for me. You could look at your your personal circumstances today and say, I can't accomplish what God has for me. Those are lies that you could choose to believe. I encourage you not to. Whatever your past, you can still be who God made you to be. And you can still accomplish the purpose he has for you. You can still fulfill his great commission. You can't do it on your own. Like we've been saying, you don't have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit in you does. As you choose to walk in his power, 
you will be able to accomplish his will for your life. Let's read Jeremiah 29, 11 together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Isn't that incredible? God has a plan for your life. Now, some people will say, oh, you can't apply that to individuals' lives because God wrote that to the nation of Israel while they're in captivity. So the question would be, so do you think God has a plan for his people generally, but not for his people specifically? That's complete nonsense. We hear in this reference God's heart for his people. The reality that in that case, they were in horrible circumstances, exiled in Babylon. They felt like they had no hope, yet God said, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose, and it's good. It's not bad. Okay, you can believe the same thing for each of you individually. Again, for the people that say you can't apply this to individuals, just read Ephesians 2.10, which comes immediately after 8 and 9, which talks about you being saved by grace through faith alone. And what does 10 say? It says that God has created you in Christ Jesus as his masterpiece, it literally says, for good works that he planned beforehand that you should walk in them. He has a day planner with things for you to be walking in. You can choose to disobey that or to walk in that. You can choose Satan's will, which is death and destruction. Or you can choose God's will, which is an abundant life of meaning and purpose. That abundant life that Jesus promised in that same passage in John 10.10 isn't just millions of dollars like Olstein would say maybe. It isn't just lots of prestige. It's a life of meaning and purpose. One that will have significance in eternity. You might get a Lexus here on this planet. You might get a big home here on this planet. I'm not saying those things are intrinsically wrong. But I am saying that in eternity, they'll matter nothing. But if you make disciples, that will matter for all of eternity. That is an abundant life that you can look back on for all of eternity and realize it's a good thing. I recently heard a quote that said, 300 million years from now, all that will matter is who is in heaven and who is in hell. And if that's all that will matter then... That should be how we view life now. Isn't that good? We need to live with this eternal perspective of purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now as we want to get into this, I want to start with the worst example of purpose I've ever seen in my life. Many of you probably drive the route from Durango up to our lodge very often. Alright? You might notice that on the left hand side you'll see a beautiful four or five or six hole golf course. Have you ever seen this? Perfectly kept, green lawns. I see this gentleman out there all the time mowing and watering and raking and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's lush, it's, it's perfect. In 15 years of living here, I've never seen a soul golfing there one time, all right? This guy's life purpose, presumably, I don't know him, is to have this perfect golf paradise on his own property. Unfortunately, nobody plays any golf there. <laughs> Can you imagine living with such a poor idea of your life's value? Now, of course, I can't say that that's true of this man. I don't know what other good things he does. But just driving by that golf course, I realize it's a complete waste of time. There's a lot of Time, energy, and money going into this thing that never gets used just sits there for people to look at and wonder, why in the world would somebody do this? 
How many of you want to get to the end of your life and wonder why in the world did they live their life? I heard of a pastor that was asked to do a funeral for a really, 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 really bad man. Okay? And his brother was really, 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 really bad too. His brother told this pastor, I'll pay you to do this funeral under one condition. You can't refer to my brother as a bad man. You have to refer to him as a saint. Okay? So he gets up in front of the whole group and he talks about this man. And he says, this guy was a scoundrel. This guy was horrible. This guy is one of the worst guys you could ever imagine. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Right? So... It's funny, but someday you're going to be in that grave. And it might be sooner rather than later. Will you have accomplished your purpose or not? Today is the beginning of the rest of your life. It's often been said. And today you can choose whether or not you will accomplish the purpose God has for you. So in your leadership workbook, you can turn to page 93. We're in chapter 10. And you're going to see the diagram that I have up here today. I put this diagram together after reading Aubrey Malfers's book, Advanced Strategic Planning, which is written more for organizations, but I would suggest it highly even for your personal life. It's a great book, especially for those of you in ministry. Again, it's Advanced Strategic Planning. And I was having a hard time really remembering all that he was sharing, so I wanted to kind of visualize it. So I tried to put it into a diagram. So here we are today in the middle. And this is, um, what would I say, kind of elaborated on. It's not all there in this way. But anyway, you could live for the moment, carpe diem, follow your heart. It's what our society says to do. That results in doing what feels good, going with the flow, doing other people's expectations of me. Why'd you go to that party? Everybody wanted me to go to that party. I just go with the flow. I do what other people want. That results in failure because I'm aiming at nothing and I'm hitting nothing. And that always goes to apathy, doesn't it? I could care less about my life. It's already wasted anyway. I talk to people sometimes and say I'm old. I wish I hadn't made bad decisions. I wish I'd done things like you're doing them now. Why not start now? (laughs) Even if you're old, you don't have to live with apathy. But apathy often results from this aiming at nothing cycle. And this always goes to Satan's will. Now for the Christian, there is a very different way to live our life. You can live with a sense of purpose. And I want to define this for you. Your purpose is the reason you exist. Why do you exist? That's your purpose. Once you understand the reason you exist, and this is critical, you can understand your mission. Your mission isn't why you exist, but it's what you should be doing. It's God's will for your life. Why do I do what I do? That's my mission. You should also understand the vision. Your vision is why you do what you do. So the mission is what you do. The vision is why you do it. If I say, Chris, why are you going to Trinity next year? What's the answer? School. Okay, it's school. But what picture in the future are you aiming at? 
okay, be a pastor. See, you have this picture of what the future might look like, and that's driving you to do what you're going to be doing right now, right? See, if you don't have a picture of the future in your head, why are you going to do what you're doing? Just because school is fun? There are a lot of people in college that are just there because somebody told them to go there. They have no vision for their life. They probably shouldn't be getting into debt to be in college. Russ, for five years today, guys, today, five years ago, we bought this property. Today, five years ago, God provided $1 million to get this place. It was a miracle of miracles. In two months, God provided a million dollars, and now he's provided even more to make this place happen. I remember sitting at that table, signing papers, bursting with excitement, and Russ and I said, probably by December we can start having retreats, but we should not get ahead of ourselves. It'll take at least two or three years before this place is where we want it to be. Five years later, it's taken some time, but we're finally doing this conference. Praise God. Now, Russ, has it been just easy peasy up here the last five years? No big deal? <laughs> Mark, you've been up here working your butt off to make this conference possible. Thank you. As you've been doing that, have you thought, man, this is just like Hawaii? <laughs> Well, you know, around December, it kind of did remind me of that, but... <laughs> so here's the deal. Why did you guys do this, Russ? Why have you put in the man hours? Well, the big picture is, when Mark and I are in the ditch, creating, fixing leaks in the cistern, that's one of our worst jobs, we realized all the water and all the swamps and pipes is going to allow people, this, this whole tool of this lodge, Okay. So, so we are not thinking of, oh, this is just dirty water. I mean, we are thinking water. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, we're not focused on just the dirty water. So the mission is pounding nails, digging ditches, doing plumbing, studying for water tests. These guys are both approved by the state of Colorado to make sure you don't die when you drink the water. Okay? But the vision is what drives them to do it. We're doing it because someday people are going to get trained to fulfill the Great Commission right here. And I'm willing to do hard work now knowing that that vision will result. So you should have a vision for your life. Because if you don't, you're going to back out when it gets tough. When you're working in the inner city, Tammy, you need a vision to drive you. Because if you don't have that vision, why should I keep putting my life into all these people and not getting anything in return. It's so hard. Okay, now once you have a purpose, you understand why it exists, a mission, you know what you should be doing, a vision, you know where you're going and why you're going there, you need a strategy. If you don't have a strategy, you're in trouble. <laughs> because it's all just behind the sky at that point. How are we actually going to accomplish these things? Now you notice... The purpose is very broad. In fact, for most Christians, your purpose is the same. Okay? And I'm going to explain what that is in a minute. Your mission is a little bit more specific. Your vision is even more specific. Your strategy is even more specific. So we're going from broad and general to narrow and specific. This side is proactive. This side is reactive. Okay? This side is just reacting to what happened. So if somebody invited me to party, I guess I'll go. 
This side says, no, there's a purpose, a mission, and a vision that I'm aiming at. That's why I do what I do. Okay? This side is subjective and opinion-based. This side is objective and Bible-based. I'm not just doing things ad hoc. I'm doing things according to God's will. Okay? Jesus taught that those who follow him will do things greater than he did. I think he was obviously referring to the completion of the Great Commission that he gave us, to people coming to faith in him, to people being born spiritually as new creations in Christ. Jesus did many, many physical miracles. Wonderful. But how many people have you got to lead into relationship with Christ? What a privilege to be able to lead people into relationship with Christ. But I'm promising you that you're not going to accomplish things greater than he did over on this side of the spectrum. Right? We have to be diligent with our lives and get to a point of self-discipline where we're willing to live this kind of life, this purpose-driven life as it's been called. Many Christians have bought into what Russ calls the five C's, cash, cars, careers, condos, and cuties. We've embraced those things as our life mission and vision. This is what I'm aiming for, a bigger house, a nicer whatever. That's not what God has called us to. Mark Batterson in All In, and I would encourage you to read that book, says that many Christians have Americanized the gospel. And he says that's the same thing as spiritualizing the American dream. We can't just Americanize the gospel or spiritualize the American dream. We have to come to Christ on his term, on his terms, taking up his cross, dying to ourselves daily, and living the life that he has planned for us. And that takes some self-discipline. So I want to talk about each of these areas a little bit more. Okay, I read to you Jeremiah 29, 11, and I quoted Ephesians 2, 10. You have a purpose. God created you for a purpose. There's a reason that you exist. You have a mission. God has a specific will for your life. Ephesians 5, 17 says to not be ignorant of what God's will is. So I want to encourage you with this. If God ever makes a command, he intends for you to keep it. Isn't that true? And he also empowers you to obey it. God doesn't just throw things out there to tease you. Hey, do something you could never do. Good job. You fail. Right? He gives you these commands knowing you can keep them. When he says, don't be ignorant, but know what God's will is, he intends for you to know what God's will is. Okay? There are going to be some good ways that you can do that. In the back of the workbook, in Appendix N, page 327, we have a checklist, because I love checklists, like Kim said, and acronyms. But we didn't put this into an acronym, because it's too long. But it's a checklist about how to know God's will. And I'm confident if you work through that checklist, you'll be able to discern God's will. It's all from Scripture, and you'll be able to obey what he says in Ephesians 5.17. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a classic verse on vision. In verse 2 it says, For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. What was the joy that motivated him as he has sat there enduring the pain of the cross and the scorn of his father? It was you and you and you. He looked ahead to the vision of us here today. And with that vision in mind, endured the pain of his mission. 
we're going to follow his example, we have to do the same thing. If you don't have a clear vision in front of you, you will not have the capacity to accomplish your mission. All right, finally, a strategy. Can any of you think of anywhere in Scripture where God does things with a strategy? Great commission, right? Could we possibly not live with a strategy? James 1.5 says that if you lack wisdom, ask him and he'll give it to you. I think so many times believers have this weird mentality that if I'm strategic, I'm unspiritual. What nonsense. God didn't devote an entire book to the issue of wisdom so that we could not use it. Right? He intends for us to be the most strategic people on the planet. In his power. It's not one or the other, it's both and. It's not either or, it's both and. We have to do all these. Okay, so what we're going to do right now is I want to just briefly intro each of these topics, and I want you to get something on paper today. I want you to get a little statement on paper today. It doesn't have to be long. But I want you to walk away with something. And then I want you to keep crystallizing that and working through that and honing it to make it what it needs to be. So let's talk about your purpose right here. Here are some of the main things that the Bible says are your purpose. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mark 12, 30. That's your main purpose in life. If you're a believer, that's your purpose. End of the story. That doesn't change. That's your purpose. If you're a believer, God has called you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're also called to love others as yourself. Mark 12, 31. Right? If you're not loving others as yourself, you're missing your purpose. You're also called to make disciples of all nations, of all people. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. None of you are exempt from that command. That is a purpose for all believers. They might do that in different ways, in different formats, but they're all called to that. You're also called to grow in a context of biblical fellowship. Nobody is called to be a lone Christian. All the time I talk to Christians that say, I just relate to God better on my own in the wilderness. And I say, I do too. Sometimes I hate going to church. Okay? I don't go to church to relate to God. I go to church to relate to other believers, to enjoy God together, to fellowship with them and God. I can't do that in the wilderness. You bet, this morning I went for a run and I had a great time talking to God on my run, running up that road, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, what a wonderful morning. I felt like I connected more with God there than almost any time in my life in church. But you know what? Not one of you was there with me. I didn't connect with you very well. And I need you. You're going to help me become who I need to be and I'm going to do the same for you. We have to have fellowship with other believers. I think we've given people the wrong impression of what church is all about. It's not the place where we meet God. It's the place where we connect with other believers and God all together. Does that make sense? And we can't do that alone in the wilderness, but you can sure connect with God, Mark, when you're up hunting. All right. So your purpose as a believer includes growing in a context of biblical fellowship with other believers. Finally, 1 Corinthians 10.31, your purpose is to glorify God in whatever you do. There's no way in the world that you could possibly 
not glorify God and be fulfilling your purpose as a Christian. Anybody know what's going on back there? You want to check on that? Awesome. Okay, so your purpose, I want you to take those statements really quickly. Okay? Do you remember what they were? Okay, the, the main aspects of your purpose. You could look at those on 94. Okay? And I want you to write out a brief description of your personal purpose. The closer you keep this to one sentence, the better you'll be. And I hope that you'll hone this over time so you don't forget it. This will help you know why I exist. Rabbi Zacharias, I heard him speak once, and he put it this way. Write down why you exist and what this world would be missing if you didn't. Isn't that a good way to put it? Because you're not here in vain. You could put something like loving God and following him, loving others and serving them, sharing the good news and making disciples. It could be simple could be something you could remember, but personalize it so that you know why you exist. The mission statement for this training center, not just the ranch, but the training center as a whole, is we exist to train and resource the body of Christ to fulfill his great commission. We exist to train and resource the body of Christ to fulfill his great commission. It's a little bit different because it's an organization. Right? But it includes all those aspects in it. Okay, as you write this statement, remember to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love others as yourself, to make disciples of all nations, to grow in a context of biblical fellowship, and to glorify God in all that you do. You're not going to get this perfect in five minutes. So please come back to this. This workbook has a ton to work through that we couldn't possibly do in a week. Come back to it. Work on it. After the conference, work through these things. Keep honing this so that you can get it where it needs to be, so that you can remember it, so that you can be living with that sense of purpose. Okay, your mission. This is going to be critical to get a sense of your mission, and I'm going to ask you to do the exact same thing with your mission statement. Okay. And I was wrong. It's not 327 where you'll find the God's will checklist. That's actually the example of our purpose, mission, and vision statements. <clears throat> but if you look at Appendix M on page 325, you'll find the Knowing God's Will Appendix. Especially you younger guys in here, you might be wondering, what is God's will for my life? You might have a vague picture of it. Don't worry too much. If it's a little vague now, God will clarify it over time. But God does have a unique mission for you, okay? God does have a unique mission, and he's going to crystallize that over time. <clears throat> nine years ago, guys. No, it's ten years this year. No, it's nine years. Nine years ago, I wrote in my journal that my mission in life, one main area, I didn't say it's the only mission because God might clarify other things, but one main area I put was to fulfill the Great Commission by 
starting a Great Commission training center that would have a physical location where we could base conferences and develop content, but that would also have an internet curriculum where we could be multiplying that curriculum across the world so that people could be doing discipleship all over the world based on our training here. Okay? And that we'd have staff teams that would develop curriculum and all this. Nine years later, all that's in place. God has provided the physical location. He's provided the IT guy to develop the internet technology and the resources. This stuff didn't just happen ad hoc. And I'm not saying it happened because of me. I'm saying that God, in his own sovereignty nine years ago, started saying, this is where you guys are going. And then Austin and I went on this vision trip to the Middle East and to Eastern Europe. And while we were there, God said very clearly, raise a million dollars, start a training center, and some other things. We get back, and Russ says, some people want to give us a ranch. I said, that's cool. We asked them, what does give mean? And they said, well, it means that we want you to take over our mortgage because we can't pay it, basically. They could have sold it for much more. They were very generous to give it to us for what they did. That was 400000 We got a bunch of contractors up here. said, what is it going to take to get this place going? They said 600000 That equals the million that three weeks before we put on paper we wanted to trust God to raise. Isn't that unbelievable? See, this wasn't us just like coming up with stuff we hoped God might do. This was God leading us. I want you to get with God and to know how he's leading you. To know what your mission is in life and to grab a hold of that and to do whatever it takes to get there. After getting this place, Aaron and I said, well, if we're going to make disciples and multiply multipliers, because the mission for this place is multiplying Christ-like multipliers, <clears throat> FYI, your mission statement should be short and easy to remember because you've got to remind yourself what you're doing. Malfer says it should fit on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's a good rem reminder, right? It should be short enough to fit on a t-shirt and be easy to remember, right? But as we saw this, it drove us to say, well, we need to go get our seminary degrees. Just so, one, we have a stronger foundation to be teaching from, and two, so that there's credibility with the rest of the body of Christ. And right now, I'm pursuing some more training to keep honing and being better equipped to do what God has called me to do. And it scares me to death to think of some of these steps. I feel terrified. But because of the mission and the vision, I'm willing to take those steps and to trust God. More than ever in my life, I'm saying, God, I trust you right now. And you have to come through because I don't have what it takes. But see, I can do that because I know clearly what he's called us to do. Okay, so take a minute right now. I want you to put a mission on paper because you have to have a mission statement. And this might not be super clear at this point. That's fine. Hone it over time. Randy Ash, Ben's pastor, puts it this way. God's will is like a river. Right? You can look at the river. You can ask where is the river going. You can ask all these theoretical questions about the river. But you're not going to know until you get in the river and go. Okay? But once you get in the river and go, it'll be bumpy at times. It'll be smooth at times. It'll be windy at times. Straight at times. But you're going to get to where the river is going no matter what as long as you're in the river. So the point being, you might not know everything. That's fine. Don't wait till you do. But get something on paper that says, I'm going. Right? I'm not just sitting here floundering hoping something happens. Because if I do that, I'm going to hit nothing every time. So put down a mission statement. Right? This is a statement of what you should be doing. So it should be an action statement. 
The training center mission statement is multiplying Christ-like multipliers. No matter what we do, we know we're doing it to multiply Christ-like multipliers. Master Plan's mission statement is preparing others to reach and influence the world for Christ. Whether I'm discipling a student, sharing my faith, or pounding nails at the ranch, we're doing it to prepare others to reach and influence the world for Christ. So have a mission statement like that that you can, that you can hang your hat on. Take a couple minutes and put something down. Here's an example again. Loving, discipling, and leading my family and sphere of influence towards maturity in Christ, doing it all in a context of fellowship with Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit. I put family in the mission statement because not all Christians are called to have a family. So that might not be part of this broad purpose statement. But it could very well be a part of your mission statement, especially if you're married. It is a part of your mission statement. So include it there. Getting a bit behind on the schedule, but it's okay. We'll make it up in the appendix time today. Okay, so that's a mission statement. I want to beg you to come back to chapter 10 and to nail these things down. This week, next week, it's your call. Pray about it. Get in God's word. Nail these things down. Because I promise you, you'll accomplish God's will for your life if you do this. And if not, you're going to be aiming at nothing and hitting it every time. Okay, motivated by vision. Why do you do what you do? So, this conference, I'm so glad that we're getting it off the ground. But it's been really hard to get here for Mark and Russ. It's been really hard to get here for me in some different areas. Some of my expectations weren't met in the, in the meantime. But why am I so excited about this? There's a vision that I'm thrilled about. This place is beginning to be used for what God called it to be used for. The training center vision is the Great Commission completed. Okay? That drives me to invest time and energy and money and blood and sweat and whatever else it takes in what God's doing. And to be okay when expectations aren't met. Because that's not what I'm doing it for. I'm not doing it for my expectations. I'm doing it so that someday the Great Commission will be completed. That's the vision statement for this place. It's imperative that you have a vision of where you're going. Warren Bennis defines leadership as the capacity to translate vision into reality. It's probably my favorite definition of leadership that I've ever heard. The capacity to translate vision into reality. Barna defines vision, and this is great, as foresight with insight based on hindsight. Foresight, you can see the future. With insight, with wisdom, based on hindsight, you know what's happened in the past. So you know where you're going. You have a wise understanding of where you're going based on experience in the past. So you have to know the vision that God is, is sending you towards. Maybe you could write something like, standing before Jesus with my family, hearing, well done, good and faithful servants. That's kind of like a metaphysical vision statement. You might put something more like this ranch's statement. The Great Commission completed. It's very... This worldly, worldly, not in a negative sense, but it's something you can really hope to accomplish with your life. Jesus said he came for a purpose in Luke 19.10. He persevered through the pain of the cross and his mission because of the vision that was before him, Hebrews 12.2, you and me. Okay, he had that vision clear in his mind, and it drove him. 
You might pen something down, a vision that you're looking forward to. Maybe it's being a pastor. Maybe it's what God, what God will do with you as a pastor. Maybe it's what God wants to do with you in Honduras. Maybe it's what God wants to do with you on campus. I don't know necessarily what the vision you're looking towards, but definitely have that picture in your mind. I feel like God, I have to have a vision first, and a vision of how to get there. Because, I, you know, what I'm doing would be to get to the vision. So, okay, first the vision, what is the vision, and then what will I do to? So you're getting to the next point. You're just so smart, you're ahead of us. It's the last point right here. It's the strategy. So once you have that vision in your head, guys, and I'm going to close with this, develop a strategy. Don't just say, hey, willy-nilly, this might happen. I hope it does. It's imperative that you have a strategy for where you're going. The strategy for the training center, which isn't just Three Trails Ranch. Three Trails Ranch is the physical location, which overlaps with the training center, but has some of its own unique aspects as well. But the training center has a multi-step, a three-tier strategy that we're aiming at. And a lot of us are working diligently to make that happen. In fact, part of it is to develop a three-year discipleship curriculum that can be used anywhere in the world. The videos from this conference are all going into an online format, Lord willing, this fall, so that we can start beta testing this online discipleship curriculum that could be used around the world. Okay? So this conference, even in that regard is going towards that vision. But there is a strategy laid out for it. So, Chris, I'm sorry to keep picking on you, but you have a bit of a strategy right now. You want to go be a pastor, so what's your strategy? Well, I'm going to go to Trinity, and I'm going to double major in these two things, and I'm doing that for a specific reason, right? You have some strategy going towards that, and if you didn't, you wouldn't ever get there, right? So I would encourage you guys to get with God, to find your purpose, mission, and vision, and then to come up with a strategy that's realistic, and then to hone these things over time and to get them into short statements that you can memorize so that you really know where you're going, so that you're not just aiming at nothing. And I know if you do this, you're going to hit God's will, dead center. And someday when you die, you'll be able to know confidently right before you die that you accomplished God's will for your life. And you'll be able to rejoice, rejoice for all of eternity because of it. What's that, Aaron? Okay, so the mission is what you should be doing, right? So this might be broader than your strategy. We should be multiplying Christ-like multipliers. It's a very short statement, right? But it really helps me know day to day to day, what am I doing? When I sit down and put hours and hours, ask Aaron, this is like a labor of love like nothing I've ever done. And there's more going into it. It's, I don't just sit there and do it because, man, wouldn't that be cool if... Now, there's a vision that we're going towards. And the mission that, that drives me when I'm doing it, or the mission where I can say, yep, I'm doing my mission, is multiplying Christ-like multipliers. I know, and this came out of this, this, I was sitting in that building right over there, and it hit me. We're developing leaders. We're trying to accomplish the Great Commission. And we have nothing but some random training that in some random people's heads to equip these leaders. Here's Brandon. More potential than you can shake a stick at as a freshman. And I don't have anything to put in your hands so that you can grow. And I hope you get something that I maybe got from Russ, but it's not down anywhere. Okay? There's no reproducibility there. It's all kind of out in who knows what land. 
And so I said, we need to get things on paper so that everybody gets it, so it's standardized, so that we can really multiply Christ-like multipliers. So that mission was why I did this. Okay, the strategy, though, might be more specific. It might be things like, one, get this workbook done. Two, get a conference done. Three, film the conference and get it on Moodle so you can have an online format for it. So that might be more the strategy. It's how specifically, what action steps are you going to take to work that out? Does that make sense? Good question. Mm -hmm. Any other questions before we close it out? Okay, there's a lot there. We're going from general to specific. Come back to chapter 10 sometime this week or next and get these statements clearly written out so you know where you're going. And then trust God to do it. And I have to conclude with what we've said many times. You don't have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit in you does. Get this stuff on paper and then trust Him to do what only He can do in your life. Jesus, I thank you so much that you've called us to more than we can do on our own. I love how somebody came to Spurgeon and said, I'm trying to do my best. And Spurgeon said, any fool can do that. But the man who follows Christ attempts what is impossible and achieves it in his power. God, I want to achieve the impossible through you, not because of me, but because of you in me. And I know that everyone in this room wants that too. So give us a clear picture of the, the mission and vision that you've called us to live our lives sacrificing for, God, what you've called us to lay down our lives to accomplish and motivate us by your spirit and empower us by your spirit to accomplish it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.